0: fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle podcast. The Peristyle podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle podcast, USCfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham.
1: Hello Trojan fans and welcome back to another edition of the Peristyle Podcast. It's a special edition of the podcast, not that they're not always special, but episode number 32. We're actually doing this on a Tuesday instead of a Wednesday because USC has a short week this week. I will be traveling on Wednesday up to Corvallis, Oregon to cover the game. So we asked the uh, the coach, Harvey Hyde, to join us one day early. Thank you very much, coach, for doing that and changing your schedule around.
2: Well, Ryan, anything for you, anything for USC football, and it is an exciting week because the national television audience will have the opportunity of seeing USC play nationally, and I think USC really personally right now is sort of on their own. The Pac-10 has been taking a real bashing and so on, and maybe you want to talk about that a little bit, but uh, whatever you want to talk about, we're going to talk about.
1: Sounds good, Coach, and I just wanted to remind everybody, if you have any questions for Coach, myself, or anyone on the podcast... Drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com. Coming up later in the show, we are going to talk USC, Oregon State in this segment and talk about the Pac-10, like Coach said. We'll also hear from uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Waiki and we'll hear from Pete Carroll at his press conference that happened on Tuesday when he addressed the media talking about the Oregon State game. But before we get to that, just wanted to thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets. You can check them out on the web at sctickets.com or give them a call, one 800 888 Seven two eight seven. If you need tickets for any kind of sporting events, concerts, theater, stuff like that, give them a call over at SC Tickets. So, Coach, uh, you mentioned the Pac-10 being down. I think I wanted to get into that first. Uh, it's been abysmal. It's been worse than we, you know, than we expected. I, I thought it would be a down year for the Pac-10. I wasn't all that impressed even with Pac-10 Media Day, and we talked about that back a couple months ago where you even had like the Sun Belt having big media day events and the Pac-10 having like a half a day at LAX airport, people flying in and flying out. To me, it doesn't seem like there's a dedication to winning with the rest of the schools like there is at USC. Do you agree with that?
2: Well, no, uh, I don't believe in that. I believe there is a dedicated effort to winning at the other schools. Uh, I think that sometimes they – uh, have setbacks. Uh, I don't think it's uh, Rick Neuheisel's fault at UCLA that they're in their current position, because I really like their coaching staff there. It's just that they don't have any players. They've allowed it to get to a level where it's impossible to compete, and they're not even competing. What I mean, how they beat Tennessee, I don't know, but thank goodness they got that win. But uh, I think that what happens, first of all, the Pac-10 is at, at a lesser, uh, uh, say, exposure Period in the rest of the nation, unless they have the national championship game, which is USC. Most of the other game, their other games are on Fox, which is a great affiliate. But it's not always national. What I mean is, there's regional games that they feature on uh... Fox. While the rest of the other conferences, the Big Ten conference, they have the Big Ten Network, where every one of their games are on television. That's absolutely amazing. I watch Minnesota play every week, and you know why? I don't have to bring that up. Uh, along with other teams, the Southeastern Conference now doesn't even have to have their own affiliate. They've already, what they've done is just joined ESPN. ESPN's got ESPNU, ESPN, ESPN2, where so many of their games are broadcast nationally. So, you know, I think that, and the late scores coming from the Pac-10 and so on sometimes hurt their exposure nationally. But I think what's happened here is there's been a broadening of the gap between USC and the rest of the other schools and universities. I think they've all tried to recruit and maintain the pressure that USC applies to them, really. They really apply a lot of pressure to Oregon, Oregon State, Washington, Washington State, and these other universities because they are so dominant that they have to recruit a certain level of athletes and get a level of athlete that maybe is going to Oklahoma, some of these, or maybe it's going they're going to, uh, you know, some of the schools in the Southeastern Conference, or Notre Dame has really become strong now recruiting here again in Southern California. So a lot of these premier athletes are not going to Pac-10 schools right now. I mean, if you look at the list of recruits that are on a lot of the uh, recruiting polls for 2009, you'll see three stars, maybe one or two four stars, as far as what they're rated, except for USC, where it's all five stars and four stars, Uh, and it's a bit down from what the rest of the nation, when you look at Oklahoma, or you look at some of these other schools, Alabama, you look at Ohio State, where they're all getting five stars, four stars, and three stars, as far as rating uh, in other parts of the country. So, I, I think what's happened, SC has just broadened the gap and they brought such a reputation to the nation that anytime someone plays them, they get ready to really play. I'm like Michigan state and Cal was a great game. Cal beat Michigan state. I think the main thing in Cal schedule is not being able to go down and maintain that emotion and that consistency. They had in their first two games to win that game down in Maryland where they could be three and Oh, Arizona state gets upset by UNLV. It's not an embarrassment to lose to Georgia. So that would have been okay. But some of the other schools, Washington, Washington State, uh, Oregon State has been so disappointing that right now what's happening is everybody is bashing the Pac-10 and articles you're reading everywhere saying, well, maybe USC shouldn't be in the national championship game, but they're not playing anybody. Who have they beaten and this and that? Well, you know, people write this to cause cause controversy and all this and that, but, but I'll tell you, uh, it's... It, it, you know, and yet I would give the challenge, and I did on my other show, would say, well, if you think you've got a team that can play USC, and play them, T. Carroll we'll will play any time. Just get on their schedule. A lot of teams don't want to schedule USC, but USC is making the effort to schedule anyone in the country. They have one of the toughest non-conference schedules when they schedule it. Who knows how tough Virginia's going to be uh, when they schedule that game? Who knows how tough Nebraska was going to be when they scheduled that game? That's not USC's fault. That's the schools that they're that they're playing that can't maintain the same level of competition that when USC scheduled them, it was exciting. Now, Ohio State did. But then when they played Ohio State, everybody's saying, well, now, how good is Ohio State? Well, coming into that game, they were pretty damn good. But after that game, you know, everyone's saying, well, they're not very good. So, you know, I think a lot of it is people become envious of USC. People are looking for weaknesses in usc uh, and the pac-10 and 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 i and i, I want to tell you the truth it's been very disappointing the way the pac-10 has performed yeah they, i'm not gonna it, i'm not gonna stick up for them uh, uh, ryan it's been very disappointing
1: well the issue i have coach and, and you talked about the athletes and usc can only get you know they're only taking 20 guys a year and then four or five of them are from out of state i mean there's still plenty of talent in California to go around. And most of these schools are able to play with USC. I mean, they seem to get up for that game for whatever reason and sometimes knock them off. But then they play, they don't get up for the out-of-conference games, and they lay horrendous eggs. And with the Pac-10 round-robin schedule, you only get three out-of-conference games. If the conference does poorly in those three games, those only three games you get to impress the nation, basically, because then you're playing against each other. Then the teams just, I mean, then the whole Pac-10 and the whole conference Looks awful, and and when I made dedication to winning, why is Cal going to Maryland, playing f- Saturday morning at what be nine a.m. on the West Coast, and they're leaving on a Friday? To me, that shows that they're not dedicated to making this trip something that can be successful. I mean, the guys are like waking up and they have to play a football game. It to me, that's just kind of a half-assed effort on Cal's program. And I got to check the travel schedules for some of the other the schools that did that, but you know, that they travel east and then they don't do that. I mean, if you want to win, you have to spend the extra money and go a day before, you know, go an extra day because the guy's got to get ready. And the only way to win those games is you have to be prepared. And it just, to me, it seems like a lot of the Pac-10 teams didn't prepare for those out-of-conference games.
2: Well, you're right with the Maryland trip. It was poor administrative planning, very poor. I mean, I think they were playing at 9 a.m. Uh, our time out here after traveling all the way across country. Going to bed at I don't know what time, getting up at uh, six or, or something their time their time to play that game. I, I I mean it doesn't even make sense. It doesn't even make sense. And, and but uh, you know that's the way they do it. That's the way they want to do it. Sometimes there's ways you save money that they think that well we'd rather just fly in and play and fly out. Uh, you know there's different strokes for different people. And but uh, you know however they do it, I'm just disappointed on the way. And and the way the Pac-10 has really performed. Hey, do you realize that in the top 25 in the country, SC is the only team in the top 25? Do you realize the Mountain West Conference has three teams in the top 25? The rest of it's all dominated by the Southeastern Conference, the Big 12, and and the uh, and couple of teams from the, the uh, uh, Big Ten. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. Right now, right now, I don't want to start something in the newspapers when I say this. But right now, FC has to win every one of their games, dominate every one of their games to still stay one or two, because they're taking bashes at them now, okay?
1: They are. That's, That's true. The,
2: they are. Okay, so they got to control their own destiny. Let's say they go undefeated and they get in the national championship game. Do you realize the Pac-10 could not send a team to the Rose Bowl this year? Because by the BCS rules, you got to be ranked, the way I understand it, in the top 14 nationally to go to a BCS bowl game, they don't have a team in the Pac-10 that could represent the Pac-10 in the Rose Bowl game.
1: Now, Coach, I, I'm I need to double check on the way that says I believe that I don't I don't know I, I would think that that wouldn't apply if you're the winner of the conference or the
2: no no but they're not the winner of the conference SC's winning the conference SC will go to the national championship game.
1: And then the second place, okay, that's interesting. You know, I'd have to to check on. I I
2: mean, I'm just throwing that out now. I just thought of that right now when we were talking, when I got to that, you know, talking about the rankings. I think you have to be ranked at a certain level if you're not the conference champion to go. Now, Illinois, I don't know what they were ranked last year, but they came out and represented the Big Ten, remember?
1: Yeah, I I thought that the team would, the conference would get one for that. I thought that meant you have to be in the top 14 or whatever if you were – a non-BCS school, and you want to be considered for a BCS game. But we can we can kind of double-check on sure, that. Check
2: that you know. out. Because, you know. Well, would you want in the Rose Bowl? No. A I, team it would be embarrassing.
1: Huh? It would be embarrassing to stick any of those other teams in the Pac-10 in a BCS game this year besides USC. I mean, what kind of performance are they going to put on? I well, mean, not
2: only that, would you send a team to the Rose Bowl that's 6-6? Six and six? <laughs>
1: Huh? It... it It's going to be interesting to see. I mean, I thought Oregon really had a shot to to be a clear number two. And I think that would help USC to have at least a clear number two. And then you could say, all right, there's a one and a two and then everybody else. But when you have a one and everybody else and and people thought this year, maybe USC would be down a little bit. I mean, that's the the expectations that I saw. I was like, people thought, well, maybe USC will be down and that's how we'll catch up instead of teams saying... Let's catch up, you know, and, you know, UCLA said a lot about catching up, but I don't care how much the talent deficiency is. They just beat Tennessee, who has athletes, who has guys that are going to go to the NFL to go 59 to, no, I mean, 59 to nothing. How, what kind of effort is that? You can't, that's no division one team should ever lose that way. I mean, Duke should not have lost 51, 59 to nothing in that game. And that just that kind of. The the inconsistencies I see in these teams not being able to put in an effort week in and week out they can get up for one game sometimes typically against USC and then you know Stanford plays USC so tough and then falls on their face the rest of the schedule that's just I mean it's just it's bad for the conference when stuff like that happens
2: and what it does it puts a lot of pressure on USC now and let's take a moment and talk about that right now against Oregon State they're a twenty nine and a half point favorite or something like that could go higher they got to cover these games. Or people think, hey, they're not as good as what they are. So what that means, these guys have got to bring their game, which I think they will, and they've got to be able to continually show this dominance against the Pac-10 opponents that they have in Notre Dame at the end of the year to be able to demonstrate they're this good a football team. They really do. Otherwise, if they go up there and sneak by Oregon State like they did in the past, people are saying, what are you talking about? Oregon State, they lost to Stanford." Oregon State, they only beat Hawaii. Oregon State, they got crushed by Penn State. Crushed. So what, what happens now, FC has to show up every single game and cover the number and, and not only just beat people, but they got to trounce them because they've, they've created this image that the pac is not any good.
1: No, you're you're right, Coach. And, and I think this year, I mean, I've heard people talk about this, that if USC wins out, even if they have some close games, I just think it's going to be hard to drop them from number one with the Ohio State victory there. I think that really helps them. I mean, yeah, what if Ohio State goes into the tank and they let you know Terrell Pryor kind of you know feel his way through the season and lose a few games and they don't look that good? Notre Dame could fall on their face and Virginia could be awful. That means every time, you know they wouldn't have beat a ranked team all year if like Oregon if Ohio State drops out of the rankings. I mean that could really hurt them, but I think that's kind of a perfect storm. And you would need like an Oklahoma and a Florida to go undefeated. But I'm talking in the future. It doesn't look like it's getting better; it's getting worse. They have Syracuse on the schedule coming up, coach, in a couple of years. I mean, a team like that, unless they turn things around, if Notre Dame stays down and there you have a Syracuse on the schedule and then whoever else you can get, I mean, that's you're gonna have. And if the Pack Ten's terrible. They're going to be hard for them if everyone has one loss or everyone's, you know, three teams have one loss or three teams are undefeated. It's going to cost USC potentially some shots at national championships. And USC needs the Pac 10 to get better.
2: You're exactly right. They do, and they'd want them to be better. And I'll tell you, if you're an opponent out there, do you want to play USC? I don't know. I don't know if you want to play after what happened to Ohio State, what happened to Auburn, what happened to Virginia Tech, what happened to Arkansas? If I'm an athletic director and I walk into the head football coach's office and I say, hey, Jim, we got a chance of opening with the Trojans, what do you think you might say?
1: Yeah, I not you a lot of people say, want to take that game. You know, huh? A lot of people wouldn't want to take that game, you would think.
2: No, I, w- I wouldn't think they'd want to, especially if you're playing for a national championship. Do you want to play USC? I, I, tell you, I don't know if you do want to play them. So the more successful you are, the more difficult it is because people don't want to play you people expect they call it an ugly win the nation will find reasons why the Pac-10 isn't any good which they're right now i'm not going to say they're not any good i'm just saying they've had a very disappointing year all of them so uh... no one's really lived up to what they you know should have been and what we thought they could have been hey they had seven starting quarterbacks returning from last year's ten teams in the pack-10 seven my gosh rudy carpenter What happened to Rudy Carpenter? Yeah, I mean, they used to be able to throw the ball all over the field. All of a a sudden now, Rudy Carpenter is Rudy, I don't know. But, uh, you know, when you look around the conference in Oregon, what's going on there? Man, I'm going to tell you, I changed my offense. I do something every year you get your quarterbacks banged out, banged out, banged out, yet the whole nation is running this type of offense. So there's a lot of risk involved with the spread offense and the option and what's going on now. Uh, with the uh, the offenses that are out there, just think of Ohio State. If Ohio State loses Pryor, USC ended Beckman's career. Okay,
1: pretty much. I mean, yeah.
2: <laughs> he, he, they ended it. No, they did. They ended. It. He didn't want to play anymore. Okay, so now Pryor's in there. If Pryor gets hurt, do you think they have other quarterbacks in uh, there at Ohio State that can run that spread offense?
1: No, I, I mean, I don't think you're going to see the same kind no. of athlete. There's no way Pryor's a special kid, and uh, I mean, that's right. They'd have so, to put you know. Beckman back in, and uh, I mean, so USC could have basically ruined Ohio State's season. And I think that's part of the problem. You see that in the Pac-10. You can either, if you have a, you know, the bullies on the, the the block, you know, you can either cower away, or you can try to stand up to them. And I think at times there'll be teams, you know, in the Pac-10 that try to stand up to USC. But so too many times they just cower away in fear, and and they they ruin the rest of their seasons, making things look even worse. You know, if they you could bounce back from a tough game, you could bounce back from a loss to UNLV and say, you know what, we're going to play Georgia super tough and and not lay an egg. Well, they, you know, Arizona State laid an egg. They didn't they didn't come back with some great effort, and they look pretty bad against Georgia. Yeah, Georgia's a great team, but they're not a world beat. I mean, I bet you they play USC tougher than they play Georgia, and. It's, it, you see things like that happening, and it's just not it's not conducive to winning. It's just not a way to make this conference better. I, I, I think Tom Hanson would love there to be just parody, where all these mediocre teams are going to the Rose Bowl like in the '90s. And you know, now you see a dominant USC team. It's almost like he'd rather knock USC down than raise the level of everyone else.
2: Well, and, I, and let me tell you too, when you're not productive, it hurts the whole conference in recruiting. Because the whole conference is recruited against by every other team in the country. And they say, why would, you, why would you want to go there? It's dominated by USC. FC gets all the top athletes. You're never going to go to the Rose Bowl. You're never going to go to a major bowl game. So why don't you come for, and, and play for us at uh, Oklahoma? Oklahoma's doing a lot of great recruiting now in the western states, along with Texas and so on. So uh, Ohio State's trying to recruit California now. Why? It's a hotbed of college a- or high school athletes. So, you know, when you're not winning, kids want to go where you have a chance to go to the Rose Bowl. Kids want to go to a school where they have a chance to play for the national championship. This is why they changed the rule as far as, you know, as far as in the Pac-10 and all the other places. Why, if if you're in the Pac-10, you don't have to go to the Rose Bowl if you win the Pac-10. You're released to go and play in the national championship game. At first, I wasn't in there for that in the Big Ten. So they had to change that because kids were saying, well, we don't want to go to your school, but you don't have a chance to play for the national championship. So now kids want to play for the national championship. Kids want to go and go to major BCS bowl games. And right now that hurts the whole image of the Pac-10 because how many teams in the Pac-10 this year are going to go to BCS bowl games? Now, Ryan, you know, it's early in the season, don't get me wrong, but the argument's going to be they're playing each other. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, no, completely. I mean, once the out of conference, you know, they did, the out of conference slate was dreadful. So it's going to be hard to get respect for the rest of the season just because they laid an egg against everyone else in the country.
2: That's right. And it's going to cost the Pac 10 millions of dollars. Millions of dollars. Because yeah. you go to a BCS bowl game and you, you know, you pick up uh, $20 million. You don't go to a BCS bowl game, you don't pick that up.
1: Yeah, well, Coach, we'll have to see what happens here. I mean, uh, we're going to have to end the segment, unfortunately. I'd lo- I, It's been fun to bash the back then for a little bit, get a little, get a little of that frustration off our chests, I think, collectively. But real quickly on the Oregon State game, I mean, they, they lose their whole front seven. It just doesn't look like there's going to be much of a matchup here. Are you seeing anything else besides a USC blowout?
2: Uh, you know, I've called it a special team, USC. And I've said that uh, this team will show up and play. Mark Sanchez is a inspirational leader, both for the offense and the defense. They've had trouble winning at Oregon State before, so I don't think they're going to allow it to happen. It's difficult playing on Thursday. It just throws off everything. As a coach, you hate it. Players, you hate it. You know it's Thursday and you have a football game. You like that Saturday afternoon atmosphere. But they got to go up there. They've got to win convincingly on a national television audience. They've got to maintain this presence they have. Because people are looking at ways not to talk positive about USC, but to find negative things about USC as far as their football program. And if they were playing in the Southeastern Conference, and if they were playing weekly these type of teams, they wouldn't be able to do this. So the only way they can protect themselves, protect their image, is to go up there and dominate against Oregon State, and I think they should do that. I see no reason how. Oregon State can play against the Trojans. Yeah. I just see no way they can. If they to go up and execute and play the way they should play.
1: I agree with you, Coach. All right, well, hey, thanks for a great segment. That's one of my favorite ones we've done together, and uh, it's fun. we got some good banter going there back and forth. So I want to thank real quickly our, our sponsor for this segment, Southern California Tickets. Check them out at sctickets.com. And, Coach, thank you for coming on with us a day early to talk about the Pac-10.
2: Well, thank you very much. Have a safe trip up to Corvallis, and uh, we'll talk to you next week.
1: All right. I'll do what I can. Everyone else, stay tuned. We're going to have a really quick break, one minute, and we'll be back talking more USC Oregon State.
0: The Parastyle Podcast. will be back after this short break. Tickets, tickets, tickets. We now return to the Parastyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham.
1: Welcome back to the Parastyle Podcast. This is our second segment. We have a very special guest in this segment. Joining us in the luxurious uscfootball.com Parastyle Podcast studio, we have uscfootball.com recruiting analyst, Gerard Martinez. Gerard, thanks for stopping by.
3: Thanks for having me, man.
1: Excellent. Yeah, a lot of the USC fans wanted to hear more about recruiting on the podcast and, with the start of this football season, we've been focused on the team, but we will talk a lot of recruiting in this segment. A lot going on on the USC recruiting front, so we'll get into that. But first, just wanted to thank our sponsor for this segment, tailgatehaven.com. If you like tailgate and go into USC games. You want to organize all that and meet up with your friends, create a little group there. You can do that at tailgatehaven.com. We did that for our big tailgate on uscfootball.com. It was cool, and I have all these friends that come to the tailgate adding my names on there. So if you want to go there, Organize some tailgates and maybe meet some new ones and, and check out some other tailgates. Go to tailgatehaven.com. All right, Gerard, just wanted to get into some football recruiting with you. I understand you were at the modern-day Centennial game uh, over the weekend, Friday night. You guys, I saw the video up on uscfootball.com. You guys did an uh, interview. Stacy da- Bradley did an interview with Vontez Burfecht, the uh, standout Centennial linebacker. just wanted to get your overall thoughts on that game. And, uh, you know, with what you thought of the USC players in there, Vontez Burfecht, and of course, number one quarterback in the country, Matt Barkley.
3: Vontez Burfict is definitely one of those type of players that can come in as a freshman and play at USC. Um, he's big and strong, and obviously you got a guy who's 240 pounds at 6'2", he's going to be able uh, to plug the holes and play the gaps well, but what you like about him is he's got cat-like quickness, and he was running sideline to sideline that had him playing in a little bit of an elephant-type position uh, in a 3-3 stack uh, of the Centennial defense, and he was coming off the edge, and he was rushing the passer. Didn't get credited with any sacks for the game, but he did have 10 tackles, and just a tremendous, tremendous tremendous-looking prospect. Um, We've seen him play in person, and the one thing you go into a game like this, you have expectations of players, especially five-star guys, and they're high, and sometimes it hurts them, um, but he lived up to the expectations in every way. Uh, he's just going to be a great player. Uh, hopefully, USC can seal the deal and close the deal with him and bring him in. ASU's looking at him pretty hard. Um, he was supposed to take an unofficial visit to ASU for the Georgia game. Uh, don't know if that happened or not, but uh, ASU's on him pretty hard, and he's got a lot of teammates there. He's got three teammates from last year, Shelley Lyons, Ryan Bass, and Brandon McGee who all played at Centennial High School last year. So he's pretty close to those guys. But I tell you what, he's the type of guy that can make an impact at a top program like USC as a true freshman.
1: All right, so it's an interesting game there. And, uh, you know, Matt Barkley, you have four picks in that one. Is that true? He had...
3: Yeah, he's had a few picks in the last few games, but uh, he's playing against good competition. I-, I think his problem is that you know he's got some young receivers. Uh, his top receiver right now is a sophomore, Victor Blackwell, um, who looks like a tremendous talent. He looks like he's going to be a guy that uh, here in the next few years is going to be one of those guys we're talking about in the Rivals 100. Um, he's really the best athlete he has on the team. The other guys are serviceable players, uh, but in the crunch, there's been a lot of tip balls. There's been some, uh, I think, some missed routes and missed reads, and it's not all on Barkley. The offensive line as well is, is kind of giving up some pressure to him so you know he's he's made some bad throws but i think a lot of throws have just been uh kind of circumstantial and uh he's been playing well though i i, I don't think that uh anybody's going to be talking about him sliding down the rankings anytime soon he's still a very very special player and uh those guys in modern day you got to give them a lot of credit because they step up and they play against top competition every week
1: yeah he was on national television a couple times already so uh all right so let's go to the weekend recruiting recap uh there, First of all, I, you put this story up, uh, I believe it was yesterday, and there's the the first section of that is the Rivals 100. You list all the guys that uh, USC's on that is in the Rivals 100, so obviously the top 100 guys in the country. You mentioned uh, Matt Barkley and Vontez. Perfect. Randall Carroll, that speedster, wide receiver, uh, he was in a game, Cathedral 41, El Segundo 21, he had over 100 yards receiving. I just wanted to get your thoughts on what he did this weekend.
3: Well, he's, he's doing some great things. I think a lot of people look at Randall Carroll being uh, the 100-meter state champion, ran a 10-4-2, and they think, this is a track guy. This is a guy that you're going to have to bring in, and you're going to have to really teach him up on fundamentals. Well, you know, the truth is, Randall Carroll is one of the better receivers I've seen in the camp circuit. Uh, he runs... Pretty decent routes, considering that you know he hasn't been taught or tutored in the off season by anybody specifically. Um, he's got good hands. He's actually a much better football player than people give him credit for. So to see him have six, you know, six receptions and 116 yards, that's not a surprise to me. They've actually used him as a decoy early in the season, and this was kind of his first game where he got the ball significantly. And they use him in a lot of different ways. They use him in the slot. They use option, motion, option, spread, zip. They do a lot of different things offensively to try to get him the football. So it's nice to actually see him get some passes and do what I think is really going to be his calling in college. I think he's still going to be a receiver. A lot of people want to see him play defensive back. They see the speed. They think Deion Sanders. I still think his better position is with the ball in his hands on offense.
1: All right. One of my uh, favorite players in this, dra- in this draft, not this draft, in this class. It's like I'm a never, draft for USC it sometimes. It <laughs> <laughs> kind of like that. Uh, T.J. McDonald, big safety, 6'2", two, around 205, 210-pound safety. Fresno, Edison – Funny, he his game last week they won eight to six and then this week seventy to twenty seven. Pretty uh, different styles and games. But what is what has his season been like so far?
3: polar opposite games. Uh, that game they played against Dominguez was just uh, they couldn't score. They only had, I think, 60 yards of total offense. It was really a slugfest. And then they jump in this week against Central, and it's a scoring fest, and they score 70 points. Um, he's been doing a little bit of everything. He had, uh, I think he had two touchdowns in this uh, this last game, and an extra point return. Um, he had a bunch of tackles. He's just such a good overall player. And you know the bloodlines, and you realize, you know, being the son of Tim McDonald Sr., He just is able to be a leader out there, and I think that's the thing. He's kind of omnipresent on the field. He's everywhere he needs to be. He's making the calls, and uh, he's doing some great things. I think the guy that uh, is really – just stepped it up this year even more I'm getting a lot of good reviews on is Rolando Jefferson now Rolando Jefferson's got some work to do in the classroom to be able to play college football but oh man talked to a few people today who uh, played against them uh in the Dominguez game and, and they couldn't say enough good things about him said he's the best athlete on the field maybe one of the best athletes in the state bar none so you know hopefully he gets everything scored away and he has an opportunity to go to college and play college football and uh and get his education
1: all right another guy in the Rivals 100 that's a USC commit uh, I think a lot of USC fans like this kid because he originally committed to UCLA, switched his commitment to USC. I'm talking about Byron Moore, the six one, 200 200-pound safety from Narbonne. I went over there and interviewed him uh, probably a couple months ago and then uh, actually ran into him and his father at USC football practice maybe about two weeks ago. His dad's always wearing USC stuff. It doesn't seem like he's
3: changing his commitment anytime soon, but he had a huge game in the win over Hamilton he's had a huge season and uh, had a good showing against inglewood and he went against shack one-on-one um you know byron is another guy kind of like tim mcdonald jr that comes out and kind of can play all over the field they can put him at safety they can bring him over on the corner uh he can kind of do it all and he also plays offense and that's actually uh the first position that a lot of people recruiting him at uh, recruited him at uh he ended up uh being selected to the army all american bowl as a wide receiver before they even looked at him as a defensive back so that's a guy who's having a big season that team's really playing well right now he's got a couple teammates uh junior safety sean parker who had uh, two interceptions returned for touchdowns last week against uh, inglewood that's a guy that we're going to be talking about in another year there's also a sleeper prospect at linebacker named tim tucker who's about 6 230 pounds uh the usc's kind of been looking at him we actually talked to him the other night that could be a guy that uh, you're going to have to look forward to here on the target list uh, for usc in the next couple months he's looking like he might be a player here
1: all right, uh, last one we're going to talk about in the Rivals 100. We'll get to a couple in the Rivals 250, but uh, offensive lineman. Obviously, you don't going to have the same kind of stats on a guy like him. But Kevin Graf, uh, he's got good USC bloodline. Six foot six, three hundred five pounds. Agora whitewashed Camarillo up there. I think it was on Friday night. Uh, I just kind of want to talk about him. It seems like he had a lot more hype as a sophomore and junior
3: than he does as a senior. Do you think that's fair to say? Well, you know, it's it's tough because when you commit that early, people automatically forget about you. <laughs> so, I think that's part of the case. Um, but, you know, girl, they bounced back. They didn't have a great week in, in the opening week. Um, they had uh, five, about 450 yards total offense this week. And with the running game, they don't have one guy specifically that's their go-to running back. So, they kind of are running back by committee and they were still able um, to get some pretty good yardage on, on the ground, even though nobody but he got over 100 yards individually. So um, that's kind of a team that's going to have to work together and win as a team. They don't have any one-star other than Kevin Graf on the offensive line.
1: All right, uh, switching uh, over to the rivals, 250. So these are guys, these are, I believe they're all four-star guys. Uh, I don't know if USC <laughs> recruits anybody that isn't a four-star guy. Um, but talk about Torrin Harris. He's a 6-foot, 170-pound cornerback uh, for Palos Verde. They got a big shutout win there. Uh, and it was against a really top team from a, from from Nevada.
3: They had a huge win. A lot of people thought that uh, Cheyenne would be one of the top teams in the state, that they would go to the state championship game. And Palo Verde, man, they've been playing really well this year. And Torn Harris, I mean, again, you talk about the athletes that USC's recruiting, guys like Byron Moore and guys like TJ McDonald that are playing all over the field for their teams. And this is the same thing with Torn Harris. He's rushing for touchdowns. He's had punt returns for touchdowns. He's had interceptions. <laughs> He's had everything. And he actually, uh, he made a remark uh, in this game. He had an interception. He says, you know, it's been a long time since I've had an interception, and I had to catch this one because they don't throw the ball to him very much. And his, pretty much his side of the field is shut down and teams go the other way. So, yeah, they're having a big, big year out there, uh, And, um, you know, it's kind of exciting to see those guys be able to come in. and And you're seeing – Guys getting used to being champions and getting used to winning, and that obviously translates well when they get to USC because they have certain expectations that every Saturday you go out and you play a certain way and you expect to win.
1: All right, let's switch over to Chris Metcalf, six foot two hundred eighty-five pounds. I saw him on the sidelines at the uh, USC Ohio State game. There was actually a lot of a lot of the guys were even mentioning were at that game. There were a lot of uh, unofficial visitors uh, that weekend man for Compton he just had a huge game
3: <laughs> had had a huge game he had uh, two interceptions he had 12 tackles he was everywhere um, you know they played against Dominguez who last week just came off of that game against Fresno Edison up there against TJ McDonald and again they didn't score many points offensively they kind of run that weird wing T kind of thing and uh, that's kind of two teams that kind of slug it out because Compton's uh, offense isn't really much different so yeah you got a, a guy like Chris Metcalf who kind of plays a tweener position um, it's kind of a 4-4 defense that they play so he plays a bit of a fist back outside linebacker which is kind of like a strong safety as well it's tough to know where he's going to play in college there's still a little bit of a question of that you know is he going to put on weight and become a true linebacker at 6-2 or is he going to be able to kind of stay at that 200 pound range 210 range and be able to kind of move back and play a full-time safety in space um, he played pretty well though I mean you get two sacks um, or excuse me two interceptions and you're making 12 tackles against a pretty good athletic team in Dominguez um, I think you can play pretty much all over the field so we're gonna to have to see you know how he plays during the year and i think usc will kind of make an assessment when they bring him into fall camp
1: all right the latest commitment for usc uh dj morgan the 5 foot 10 165 pound running back he's a class of 2010 guy so he's a junior it uh, looks like he had a big game after his commitment to USC. It seems like he stepped up his play a little bit
3: there. He's had uh, a few huge games. Um, the second commitment of the class of 2010 for USC, the second running back commitment. And obviously, they've got Dylan Baxter, who was her first commitment from the Rising Stars camp in 2010. And now they have DJ Morgan. And DJ Morgan was a guy that we all expected to get an offer and to commit early. It was just a matter of time. And uh, this week he did it. He went out and turned around and had a huge game. I mean, he only caught, what was it, three passes? and he had over 100 yards, I mean, that's pretty That's pretty spectacular. I mean, that's a pretty good average <laughs> for every catch that you have. So this is a guy that's dynamic. Um, he's the, uh, the 110, 400-meter uh, uh, hurdle champion. He's a guy that's been to the Junior, ju- junior Olympics, um, done a lot of great things in his career, and I think that's a guy that uh, you bring in, and a lot of people are going to try to make the uh, comparisons to Reggie Bush and make the comparisons to Joe McKnight. He is of that line, but obviously he wants to kind of make his own name at usc he's talked about that he used to wear number five and he's actually changed his number to number 30 uh, because he doesn't want to necessarily just get lumped in with everybody else he kind of wants to make his own name and blaze his own trail at usc but uh for right now it's going to be at usc
1: all right so that's pretty much the list we have there. there's a few other notables that are not usc commitments but um you know they're on the usc prospect list and uh, they have they have not yet made their commitment to attend a certain college uh, probably the biggest name on that list is Devon Kennard, six foot three, two hundred fifty pound, two hundred fifty pound defensive end. He's out of Arizona. Hurt his knee. Do we know what's going on there? You can kind of give the uh, background to that a little bit.
3: He's supposed to get his MRI today. Um, I talked to his brother actually Sunday, and they were feeling pretty out. Pretty optimistic about it. Uh, they didn't feel like it was going to be a serious knee injury, uh, but they did not know for sure. Um, it was actually a injury that occurred right after he basically had the game-winning sack. Uh, the, uh, the team they were playing against... Um, which was Chandler. Chandler. Chandler's got a huge. Uh, that's that's another big win for them because Chandler's a very athletic team, a team that a lot of people thought was going to be a team that be reckoned with uh, down in the state title. And so they, you know, they they have a huge win um, on the goal line. Uh, Devon Canard uh, comes in and sacks the quarterback and forces a fumble. It was a huge deal. And then they turn around and they give him the ball and uh, he somebody takes his knee out. So it was kind of a scary injury, but he did get up on his own power, kind of limped off the field and at this point talking to the family they're crossing their fingers they feel optimistic uh, that he's going to be able to to be cool and have a, a full recovery at this point so um you know we'll get more on that obviously uh, later in the week
1: all right check back on uscfootball.com for that uh one guy had a bye week Manti Teo he's the six foot two 225 pound stud linebacker out of Hawaii uh he didn't he didn't play last week but he did break down his list to a final five can you talk about that
3: well, he's got USC, he's got UCLA, BYU, and Notre Dame. Um, pretty much what we kind of expected coming down here at the end of the summer. The schools that he wanted narrowed down. Uh, this weekend, he took an official visit to UCLA, so he's considering UCLA. He has a very good relationship with Norm Chow. Obviously, Norm Chow, um, you know, with with kind of a Hawaiian background, um, is doing a pretty good job recruiting him. Um, a lot of people at the end of the day feel like it's going to come down to BYU and USC. We'll see. I mean, obviously, USC's got a great opportunity in terms of the depth chart they're selling that they've actually offered him the number 55 when he comes in as a true freshman Um, there's a lot of things that are working in USC's favor he does want to take a Mormon mission he's very very steadfast in that Um, it's something that's important to him and so that's going to work in BYU's favor USC has said that he can come in and take the Mormon mission however so it's it's kind of playing back and forth with him I think on his mind but it's a, it's USC's winning and their tradition. There's a lot there to like, and you can tell that he's been a USC fan. He's been a Ken Norton Jr. fan back when he was playing for the 49ers. So this is not a guy that just, uh, you know, all of a sudden became a USC fan or is a bandwagoner. He's kind of been around and he kind of knows the program a little bit and he likes the program. So we're gonna see how it comes down. He hasn't announced when he's gonna actually take his USC visit. Uh, I would have to think that's probably gonna come maybe after the year. USC policy-wise doesn't do a lot of official visits during the year. Uh, everybody was surprised to see them not bring any official visitors in for the Ohio State week but that was kind of expected by us they tend to want to use those official visits to when the coaching staff can really get some one-on-one time with the uh, with the recruits and the problem is when you're playing a big game like Ohio State you really got to focus on the big game you don't want to focus on trying to take recruits out and torn uh, around the campus and taking them out to eat and doing whatnot so they like to to use that opportunity after the season uh, to bring those kids in and kind of love them up and and try to get some commitments.
1: Yeah, I did that actually on the pregame radio show on F Seven Ten ESPN LA. They had me on and talked about that a little bit, and I mentioned the same thing you just did. I mean, you would love to have official visitors come in and see you, trounce the number five team in the country, but if they're not, you know, Pete Carroll's a good recruiter, and he would like to use that time of the weekend to recruit those kids and. Yeah, re- watching them destroy a team is- helps recruiting those kids, but he doesn't get that one-on-one time, like you said, and it's, it's got to be tough for him.
3: And and the good thing was that uh, USC, the recruiting process they have, they were able to bring in a lot of guys as unofficial visitors. So you had Devon Kennard. Um, you had quite a few guys, Adam Hall, being able to come in and take an unofficial visit. So they were still impressed. They still got to see the game. They still got to be there in person, and they get to come back on an official visit later, which kind of changes the whole speed of things. I mean, they'll come on their official visit and it'll be a different you know, type of deal because it'll be after the season. There won't be a game, but the coaches feel like one-on-one they're able to talk to those guys and, and just give them a little more one-on-one time, which is important, especially for the parents too because we have to remember that their parents are being recruited just as the recruits are.
1: Speaking of Adam Hall, you mentioned six passes for 117 yards, I see in your update. Not bad for him. Uh, one last guy I wanted to talk about, though. There was kind of some news about him this week. Shaquille Evans, Shaq Evans from Englewood, 6'1", 185-pound wide receiver. What's the latest story with him?
3: Well, talked to Shaq. Uh, I can't even remember when it was. Uh, got on the phone after there was a lot of rumors and, and some reports that he had committed to USC uh, as a quote-unquote soft verbal. And uh, he told me, you know, I'm not committed anywhere. Just uh, you know, officially, publicly, um, I'm really looking forward to taking my visits. He's actually going to Notre Dame this weekend, um, and you can expect it to probably open up a little bit from there. Um, he just uh, he, he got caught up in some things, and I think with uh, you know there was there were some reports. That somebody had talked to his mother and and she was the one that kind of confirmed that he had committed to USC during the Ohio State game um but you got to remember, you know, not people don't always understand what they're saying or what the definition or certain things are a soft verbal. I mean, I know when I spoke to him, he really didn't understand what that meant. And that's really, Hey, you got to take that into account with some of these kids. They just don't know what the lingo is when it comes to recruiting. And, you know, sometimes you get reporters who are going to ask you questions and it's easy to say yes to something that you don't know about. So it, he was a little confused. Obviously the Englewood coaching staff, uh, talked to them, uh, previously over that weekend and they were pretty, pretty insistent that, you know, he's going to take his trips. He really needs to 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 take his time with the process and kind of see it through. He really doesn't know what he wants to do. And, uh, you know, I think Shaquille, at the end of the day, it's going to be tough for him to go away from home. I think that's going to be something that's going to play into this whole game. Um, obviously, Notre Dame's the only team that's really outside the West Coast that's really trying to get his recruitment and trying to get his commitment done. But I think at the end of the day, it's probably going to come down to UCLA, USC. There might be another team in there on the West Coast that's able to kind of get in there. But um, F, obviously, the the USC game against Ohio State that weekend it was a, a definitely strong point, and a positive point for USC. They did talk to him, and uh, he, he's he really feels comfortable at USC. He likes the winning tradition right now at Inglewood. Um, it's been tough. They've had a tough season. They actually had their first win this past weekend. Um, so you know, he, he likes that. He likes that he. can go to a team and not have to necessarily be the man and just you know kind of fit in and be just another star player sometimes you know these guys actually like that i know it's easy to think well geez you know i want to be the man i want to be the star i want to be the standout on the team And if i go to usc i'm just going to be among a lot of five stars a lot of big time guys well some guys look at the opposite some guys really don't like the spotlight too much and if you can go to a team like usc you kind of mix in with the crowd
1: all right gerard amazing stuff i don't know who knows more about recruiting than you do i don't know anybody that does but thank you for joining us in our studio and uh it's been way too long so we'll have to get you on more especially as recruiting heats up thanks very much for joining us
3: thank you for having me
1: of course okay everyone else we're gonna take a quick break 30 seconds and then we'll be back with dan wyke the uscfootball.com beat writer he'll give us an update of what happened down at the usc press conference
0: you are listening to the peristyle podcast from los angeles california It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com.
1: Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. This is the third and final segment of our show. I'm your host, Ryan Abraham, the publisher of uscfootball.com. And in this segment, we're joined by uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Wiecki. It's a special Tuesday edition, and Dan was down at the USC press conference with Pete Carroll. Dan, thanks for joining us today.
4: Ryan, it's always a pleasure to anchor the podcast.
1: Yeah, you're know, the anchor leg, that's good. Uh, there's only three of us, but it's still... Do you have to have four for an either, anchor leg?
4: Either, either the anchor leg or anchor as an I sink it. <laughs> <laughs> Just your
1: I do. <laughs> that, the, the term anchor, when uh, you're pulling your weight around the site, has come up from time to time. But no, normally Dan does a great job, and uh, we actually put Dan on a little fact-finding mission. In the first segment, Coach Harvey Hyde and I were talking about If uh, one of the Pac-10 teams is not in the top 14, I believe, or the top 12 of the BCS rankings, would they not be able to go to the Rose Bowl? And we do believe that that's the case, that they're not guaranteed to go just because USC is moving up uh, into the national championship game, if that happens.
4: Yeah, my understanding is that they still could go if um, the Rose Bowl, uh, they would have their selection, and the BCS people, they would have their, uh, their, their choice of teams. And they they could choose to go with the second Pac-10 team, whoever it would be. But if that team was, well, I don't think that I don't think they'd do that. It wouldn't make any sense for them.
1: Yeah. Well, at this rate, every other Pac-10 team has a loss. None of them are in the top 25 right now, and obviously they all have to play USC, so that's almost guaranteed another loss for them. So it's going to be tough for uh, them with the the, the rough out of conference slate that they ran through. Not that the games were all that tough. There were some tough games, but they just played poorly across the board and just. Just made the Pac 10 look bad.
3: Yeah, but there are some
4: teams that I still think they can move up if they, if they put things together in the conference. Like, I still think Cal has a chance to track the top 25. Um, Oregon, obviously, they're always fresh in the voters' minds. And Arizona State, I think those are three teams that, um, you know, I think will all be bold teams. And I think that they, they'll, before the year's over, I think at least one, probably two of those teams will make their way back into the top 25.
1: Yeah, right now, if you look at it, I mean, I think the Pac-10 has, is this seven bowl alignments right now? I mean, I, there's I, there's no way. I mean, how are you going to, you can't have seven bowl teams from this conference.
4: No, it doesn't look like it. Um, you know, maybe uh, maybe the points that able can uh, draft the uh, USC service team or something like that.
1: Yeah, maybe the second and, t- uh, second team at USC would probably finish second in the Pac-10 at this point. I mean, it's just, it's just bad. It's just bad across the board.
4: Yeah, I mean, it's it's, you know, Pete Carroll talked a little bit about that today where he thinks that, you know, it's too early to say that the Pac-10 is down, that, you know, that it's just been a couple tough weeks. Um, you know, there's been some turnover and in some key key positions with, with teams and some, some really, you know, key injuries. And uh, I think that's slowed the conference down a little bit. I also think that, you know, some teams just haven't taken care of business the way they need to. I mean, like, you know, would we be having this conversation about how terrible the Pac-10 is if, say, you know, you know, V loses to Arizona State. You know, if Arizona State takes care of business there, and then and then looks competitive against Georgia, at least you know at times, like is, are things that bad? You know, when you have that second team. But I think without a second team, you know, it's really the onus is really on USC to to take care of business around the table because I think it'll be difficult to get a lot of help when you look. You know, a loss oh, it's going to gonna be bad. I mean, but yeah.
1: Carol has to say that, Dan. I mean, he has to. I mean, this is his conference. And, you know, but yeah, what if Arizona State didn't lose UNLV LV and didn't get blown out by Georgia? And what if UCLA didn't get absolutely <laughs> embarrassed by BYU? And, and what if Cal didn't travel the day before to play a nine in the morning game against Maryland and not even show up? I mean, there's, and what if Oregon didn't lose a quarterback again and lose another one? It's just, there's too many what ifs and there's so many things that have gone wrong. Just no one is stepping up after that first weekend. It looked like, Hey, things might turn around and be pretty good. But man, it's it's worse than I even thought it would be.
4: Usually, when teams are are bad at the top, teams that you think are going to be good, somebody from the bottom steps up and and adds a uh, adds like kind of you know becomes slides into that role, you know. And and it's hard it's hard to pick a team in those concepts right now that's in the bottom half that I can see really you know making putting together some really meaningful wins, sliding up and and being reckoned with. Um, I thought Arizona had a chance, but you know they lose to New Mexico, um, and you know and then, and then blow out UCLA. Bad, <laughs> yeah, they've got a bad loss. You know, UCLA obviously after beating Tennessee, which is a good win for the conference. You know,
1: but Tennessee, Tennessee's bad. Tennessee is awful. I mean, I saw them in person. I was there this weekend to the Tennessee Florida game, and they were abysmal. I mean,
4: it's, it's still a good win for the conference, though, especially under a first-year head coach. I mean. Like it's it's it, it, you know it, it's it's one of those things. I mean, obviously, kind of like it's that's why I'm projecting. You know, I think this is really what it boils down to: is why polls the first two three weeks of the season are just completely stupid and meaningless. Because I mean, you know, some people might have thought Alabama was a top twenty-five team. Well, now they're in the top ten. You know, and you know East Carolina. You know, two weeks ago, people were talking about them. You know, being a BCS buster, and then they then they you know they don't handle business. You know, against North Carolina State and. And now, you know, the, they're out of the mix. It, it's just kind of, it's right now, it, it, it's just so it's so hard to project, you know, what your wins are going to mean down the road, you know. I mean, a week after dismantling Ohio State, that win doesn't look as good because, you know, Ohio State struggles with Troy. Yeah. And, and, and you know, it's, that's why it's so hard to project that stuff. I mean, what what you have to do is it really falls on, on you um, at, 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 you know, the individual school to take care of what you need to take care of, to take care of your games and try to let the rest of that shake out. I mean, you know, USC did its best. You know, they scheduled an out-of-conference game against an ACC school. You know, who knew the ACC was just going to be, you know, just garbage, like um, for lack of a better term. And then, you know, they bring they bring Ohio State in, who was a top-five team at the time, and who knew that they were playing the wrong guy quarterback? You know what I mean? And, right. you know, missing, you know, their best running back and, and just being overall pretty unimpressive and uninspired so far this season. I mean... Like you know, USC did what it could. I mean, it, it tried to pr- play those games, you know. And then, it actually, one of the one of the <laughs> sort of the one of the games on the schedule where they're going to be where they're going to have a chance to play a team with a lot of wins probably will be Notre Dame. Um, and
1: I don't it's know, dude. Notre Dame
4: doesn't. It's because <laughs> Notre Dame doesn't play anybody. I know, they don't play but, anybody. They have an easy schedule.
1: Yeah, but it's I, they can still get a lot of losses. I know people are talking about that, but man, I mean. I don't think Michigan Notre State's Dame's all going that. could
4: be good. the worst 9 9-win nine team probably or 8-win um, team ever. <laughs> but,
1: we'll see if they can get to that. I, I don't know. I mean, there's just so much going on here, Dan, and it's it's frustrating. I think there's a lot of talk on the message boards about what if USC goes undefeated and they don't make it. I don't I don't think that's an issue this season. I think no, it's that's potential not, That's not an issue at all. That could be it's potentially not. well not. There could be a potential issue in the future. But because of who they schedule, I don't think that's going to happen. But the fact that it, it could, I mean, that it just shows that the, the rest of the conference is just not holding up their end of the bargain.
4: No, yeah. I mean, this year, I think that's silly. I think if USC goes undefeated, I think everybody who's watched them through three games and, and has seen them, uh, you know, they're on a national stage. and. You know, they look, they look like the best team in the country against Ohio State. They look like the best team in the country against Virginia. I mean, they've got these national games where they've got a chance to show everybody. You know, I don't think it matters if the Pac-10 is terrible. If USC goes on the future, they'll be they'll be playing in Miami in the national championship game, I think, without a doubt.
1: Yeah, now, the thing is, I don't think people should look ahead because anything can happen. You saw Stanford last year. But honestly, if this team loses a game from here on out, I just don't know. I mean... There is no reason they will definitely be double-digit favorites over everybody else they play. There should not be another loss on the schedule, especially with the way the rest of the Pac-10, the rest of the pack 10 I mean, is playing.
4: Yeah, I, I think the the one thing that can get in the way is injuries. Obviously, um, I know there are a couple a couple guys that we've talked about this before. A couple guys that I, I know I don't feel like USC could afford to lose. It's guys that would that would that would cripple them. Um, in a lot of ways. You know, I think if they lost Mark Sanchez for an extended period of time, it would really hurt. Certainly. And, I, and, and I'm not sure that the offense, I mean, we, we saw what the offense looked like in the weeks leading up to Virginia, and, and things weren't sharp, and things weren't, they didn't look like a championship offense, you know, without Mark Sanchez playing quarterback. I think, I think if they lost Joe McKnight, I think it would hurt a lot of what they do. Um, as far as just, you know, that kind of explosiveness, I think he's very important. I think, you know, I think if they lost Kevin Ellison, is a, is, a, is a guy who I think it would it would hurt them if they lost him. Or if, that, you know, with the news that Chris Galippo, you know, won't be back this week, um, you know, might not be back, you know, who knows if he'll be back, you know, in two weeks. You know, I think if, obviously if they lost Ray, that would be another. I think those are the guys that they just couldn't afford to lose at this point. I'll
1: add one to that list, and we'll get to the Oregon State. You know, I'd say uh, Christopher O'Dowd at the center. I think they lose him. Yeah. That's a huge part of that offensive line and his leadership there. For as young as he is, he's the leader of those, that group, no doubt.
4: Well, we can have Jeff Byers to this too, because the offensive line really gelled when Byers came back. That's true. So, I mean, like, I, I think, I think you know, those are some guys that, I mean, play pretty key roles where they're maybe not the deepest team behind those guys, and I think those injuries could hurt USC. So, I mean, that's why I think it's too early to say, you know, oh, they definitely need to, you know, I mean, I, I feel like you look at their schedule right now and and you look at, you know, all their, what should be their difficult games are all at the Coliseum, Um, you know, and I mean, moderately easy trips to Washington State, to Arizona, and to Stanford, I mean, those teams aren't scary, those teams haven't been scary in a long time, you know, and, and really, uh, you know, USC, you you should win at home against teams you're better than, and then when you go on the road, you know, things are a little more up for grabs, but, you know, usually that's worth about a touchdown, and, you know, I think the feeling is USC is probably 20 points better than Oregon State. They're probably, you know, 80 points better than Washington State. <laughs> get, you know, I mean, like those games, those games aren't frightening. And I think the the overwhelming feeling that I've gotten from players, you know, is is that they're not they're not looking ahead, but but they're not stupid either. I mean, they know what's going on right around around in the conference, and they know who they still have to play. The feeling is, you know what, we have to stay out of our own way. Um, if anybody beats USC, it's going to be it's going to be USC. And, you know, that's turnovers. That's silly penalties. That's 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 stuff like that. that could really come back to haunt the team. But, you know, for the most part, I even feel like they're good enough to overcome some of that stuff.
1: OK, well, at the press conference today, Mike Riley and Pete Carroll both spoke. Did anybody you hear say anything that would give you any kind of indication that this is going to be a close game? Or, or is this, I just don't see any way this is not a complete blowout.
4: I mean, the o- the only thing that has been brought up has just been USC struggles at Corvallis the last three times they've been there, um, you know, two losses and then a close win and and, and poor weather conditions. Um, and even that, I think, is just kind of kind of overblown. I think you know, it's been you know, especially the last loss um, at at Oregon State was four turnovers were the reason why they lost. It wasn't. A raucous, you know, Corvallis crowd or anything like that. It wasn't like they didn't hear plays because, because of the noise or anything. It was that they turned the ball over and they made mistakes that you know didn't need to be made. And I think, you know, I think if USC is focused, which by all accounts they are, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't see it being a particularly close game. It's pretty amazing just being around Heritage Hall, just the difference. And obviously, it's going to be a drop off after Ohio State, but being around, you know, during Ohio State week and and just, you know, just seeing everybody all hyped up and, you know, tons of fans, and tons of media and stuff like that. There's there's just more kind of a eh feeling about this game, you well, yeah, know.
1: The game isn't even sold out, Dan. Like, they're not even sold out up there. And I think that's why, yeah, it's tough to go up there and play. But I just don't think Oregon State thinks they're all that good. I mean, losing to Stanford and just being non-competitive yeah. against Penn State, it's like they weren't even there. Uh, I mean, yeah. USC is better than Penn State. And, yeah, it's going to be at home. But, man, I, I just don't see them being the kind of the, the hot team or whatever that they when they would play USC in the past and get really up for it. I'm just not seeing that mm-hmm. this year.
4: Yeah, well, I mean, Oregon State isn't even in school yet, too. That's another kind of interesting wrinkle is that because of the quarter system, you know, they haven't started classes. So, I mean, it, it's kind of like, you know, I, I, I don't really know what to expect out of the crowd. You know, I'm surprised it isn't sold out. Um, you know, I've heard that USC fans – I haven't been enthralled about making the trip um, that they have you know, I, I think I read somewhere that they've had to return. They've returned some of their, a lot of tickets. And it's just going to be, it's just going to be kind of one of those games. You know, I think USC is going to have to stay focused. They're going to have to stay out of their own way. And I think the most important thing is that, you know, they, they can't overlook what Oregon State does. You know, Pete Carroll has, you know, has really high, high praises for what Mike Riley does. I think Mike Riley's a good coach. Um, he's an experienced coach. And Oregon State's traditionally been tough in some regards, you know. Um, Picaro says that he really likes the schemes that, that Oregon State uses on offense, and, and he likes what they do defensively, too. Now, maybe, I mean, he's not going to sit there in front of all of us and tell us, you know, Mike Riley's garbage, his plays were awful. You know, I mean, he's not, he's not going to say that either. But, I mean, I, there's a real sense that I think that they, they will have to deal with some factors in Oregon State, I think. You know, they've got some guys who are a little slippery on the outside. You know, Sam Schroeder, obviously, is, is a guy who's been around the Pac-10 for a while. And, I mean, he's a big play guy. And, I mean, that's the way upsets happen are turnovers and big plays. And, I mean, you have to limit those two things. And if you do, you're gonna, you know, USC is going to win.
1: Yeah, well, we'll see what happens. It's going to be, we'll be up there in full force, USCfootball.com. We'll have video and stuff from the sidelines. Dan will be up there reporting. We'll have a photographer out there taking pictures. So it should be fun. Dan, thanks for joining us and uh, sharing your insights.
4: Yeah, real quick, the site's going to be kind of up for grabs for a couple of days with uh, no SoCal base. I mean, uh, I, do you have any security lined up or anybody, you know,
1: yeah, yeah. Kind
4: of watching things? or?
1: I hired some muscle, and we still have Zach. Uh, Zach LaHada will be around, you know, checking things out. But, yeah, the, uh, the core of the site will be going to muscle. Corvallis.
4: Zach's not the muscle, is he?
1: Uh, no, Zach's good. Well, he's the mus- he's a pretty muscular guy. But, yeah, we got some other, we got some hired uh, goons. They're going to be protecting the site while we're gone.
4: Good. Good to hear. I feel better now.
1: <laughs> Excellent. All right, Dan, thank you for your insights, and we'll uh, look forward to reading what you have to say about the big game up in Corvallis. Thanks, Ryan. All right, everyone else, thank you very much. That's the end of our Peristyle podcast for this week, episode number 32. Stay tuned next week. We'll be back reviewing Oregon State and giving a preview of the Oregon Ducks.
0: listening to the Paristyle podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget you can now download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player. Just search for Paristyle podcast the next time you log into iTunes.